0: Welcome to the Saminshu podcast, where we talk to Saminshu's finest about martial arts, training, and life's smaller questions. In this conversation, we talk to Sensei Rachel Gawain about asking the why question, the surprising serenity of a cemetery, and cooling down karate kids. This conversation is brought to you by relaxation, who wants to remind you that the foundational skill to both fighting and living is the ability to relax. So yeah, I mean, I think some of those questions actually I was uh, kind of inspired by your question. I I think I was helping you teaching a class, and then just having kids sitting around,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then you starting asking that question like, why are you studying martial arts, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I don't know. That that just that question just stays with me, right? He's like, why that question? So that was like two, three years ago, a long time ago, but. Right. And I was like, whoa, that's a very good question. So, was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. What did you get that question from?
2: Um, well, I think coming from my like counseling background, you know, knowing that relationships are so important to everything, mm. um, you know, building that relationships and it gives you a chance to learn about the students who are in your class and, you know, what brought them to the dojo or to Kung Nu or to wherever it may be. And that everyone's going to have a different answer and a different experience, but it gives you some insight into, you know, learning about their backgrounds and who they are and, you know, what they bring to the table with them. And it just, it, it helps me to know who these students are um, that I'm working with.
0: Mm. I like that question. that's a couple of reasons. One is that it kind of because a lot of times, I'm not aware of my decisions, right? I, for a long time, I'm making decisions. I'm, I'm not aware. Even though I made it, I never reasoned, like, hey, why, why, I, why am I doing this? Why I choose to do this, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe that day, maybe that question kind of playing the sea of me starting like to be more aware of my own decision makings. So, right. I don't know, man, 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 that could be one of the reasons that I'm doing this right now. So, you know, it's going to be awesome. Uh, well, you're
2: welcome, then. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that, you know, yeah, you never know what's going to stick with you, um, you know, from classes or from anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's overhearing other people's conversations or hearing, you know, the questions or, you know, when you're teaching, if you overhear someone else, you know, in the next day teaching, you know, a concept a certain way, you know, you're always constantly when you're listening and and aware of those things happening you know picking up on other kinds of um ideas that then you know sometimes stick with you and it's like huh okay yeah let me think about that i hadn't thought that way before yeah yeah, so, yeah. that's cool
0: so what other questions do you ask kids when you teach them like what other questions that jump stop their almost awareness in a way because uh Kids are usually not aware and they have no reason to do anything, right? Motivation, you changing motivation. So yeah. Well of questions you ask.
2: <laughs> a lot of times, yeah, they they are so impulsive in what they do that, you know, you ask someone why they did that and they don't they don't know. Like they honestly don't know. They have they they're not logically thinking the way that, you know, adults would. Um, but as far as other questions, like I'll ask in the kids class, um, I mean, we go over general philosophy and, you know, history of Kung Nu and asking them, you know, things about that. Um, Recently, so yesterday, actually, in the virtual class, because we haven't been able to do roles, I said, you know, pretend like I'm a white belt. Tell me what y'all remember about rolling. Like, who remembers, you know, it's been, you know, many, many months since we've done this. But, you know, talk me through it. So it gives, you know, them a chance to, be able to think about, okay, yeah, um, you know, you're going to tuck your head to the side, you start with your knee and the foot on the floor. um, And it kind of gives them the little beginnings of being a teacher themselves and being able to explain, you know, and knowing that they know, okay, here's how I would do that. And here's how I would teach it or explain it to somebody who hasn't done it before. And that helps to reinforce the concepts. I'm trying to think of some other, you know, like really good questions I might ask them it kind of sometimes goes into um, a lot of times a little bit higher ranking students where Mm. I might say, you know, like tell me about a time where you've used the five A's for self-defense, you know, outside of the dojo. Mm. It doesn't have to be just strictly related to kung new or to self-defense, you know, being aware and alert, avoiding certain things, anticipating action. You know, those are skills that can be applied to so many different in so many different ways, you know, like Mm. tell me how you've been able to use this or maybe another philosophy and trying to, get them to be able to apply it so it's not just I'm going to memorize this for a test and spit it out and then forget about it. It starts to maybe become a little bit more ingrained within them of, you know, this is a part of, you know, what I'm doing with Kung Nu, and I want to make it a part of who I am as a person.
0: Nice. Yeah. That's good. So let's go back to, uh, so you, you, you were born in Atlanta, are you? were you?
2: I was, yes.
0: Born oh, and raised, then?
2: Born and raised. I'm back in the house that I grew up in, actually.
0: Oh yeah! Wow. Um,
2: so I have not gone too far away from home for too long of periods of time.
0: Mm-hmm. So how was uh how was your how was your childhood like?
2: It was pretty uneventful. I'm an only child. Um, my parents are still together. They live half a mile down the road from me now. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, growing up, it was. Like I said, it, it felt very fairly uneventful. I, you know, uh, didn't have any siblings, didn't have any big sibling rivalries or fighting or um, no crazy moments of me really rebelling against parents or, you know, um, going through that kind of a phase. Um, I, you know, felt pretty well supported and, and had a, um, you know, good household environment.
0: You didn't, you didn't go through a rebellious teenage year?
2: Maybe a little, a little bit. I mean, I definitely did things um, in like, high school that my parents didn't know I was doing at the time.
0: Like like, like what? It's time to come clean.
2: <laughs> like partying um, and, you know, perhaps dabbling in underage drinking. Mm. Um, so there, there were, t- you know, things like that. Um, I cut class once what every, once in, once in a while but it was harder you know you had to have notes and everything and mm. um you know so that wasn't as easy to do um okay. but yeah so <laughs> that kind of stuff in but i was never really um never really pushed the limits mm. I, I guess i had enough um flexibility and was so responsible enough to take care of the things that i needed to take care of so i never really ge- gave my parents a chance or a reason to not trust me Ah. I mean, even, even after partying sometimes on Friday nights, yeah. I would get up hungover and go teach the Saturday morning kids' classes. Oh,
0: wow. <laughs>
2: so, so there were, you know, I would do things, but I would still make sure that I was getting my stuff done that I needed to get done for the dojo.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you, you mentioned that you were like, uh, raised uh, born and raised in Atlanta, and now you're back into your you know, childhood house. So what's the farthest place you ever traveled?
2: sure so i spent a year in the netherlands um
0: mm. back cool. in what we? a week a year oh <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah so um back in
2: 2010 2011 um i was a nanny
0: mm.
2: uh, for a family in the hague in the netherlands oh. and um that was the the furthest i'd been away from home and i had um gone to college, graduated, came back home. I was working um, at a restaurant up in Buckhead, just kind of doing the restaurant scene, you know, working at night, hitting the bar across the street afterwards, coming home, living with my parents, doing the same thing the next day. And um, it was fun, but it definitely, when this opportunity presented itself to move to the Netherlands Mm -hmm. and, you know, work with this family and take care of these three children, um, you know, I didn't really have a good excuse to say no. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was nervous. And it would definitely, you know, it was the biggest life change, you know, to leave my family, um, and friends and every, you know, everyone who was here. But I also thought, you know, I'm not going to get an opportunity like this again.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: If I don't, you know, I'm probably going to kick myself for not taking this, you know, in the future. Mm-hmm. And it just made sense that, you know, I was 21 22 years old and you know yeah let me go live in the netherlands for a year yeah. and uh do that it was awesome
0: yeah vacation and work at the same time online.
2: exactly exactly
0: so why did you want to do take this job and go to netherlands
2: so the family in the netherlands um there was a, a family who i used to baby i did a lot of babysitting um back in the day and so there was a family in Grant Park, who I would babysit for like, multiple times a week, um, you know, kind of almost almost as a nanny kind of position, I'd leave school, you know, and go over to their house for the afternoons and, and mm-hmm. things like that. So um, this family was really good friends, the um, dads had gone to Emory together, and we're really good friends. And so um, they had reached out and said, Hey, do you know, anyone we're looking for a our nanny mm-hmm. ours is about to leave, you know, do you have anyone? you would recommend and so the mom of the family who i had been babysitting for actually called me and she was like rachel i i need to know if you would be interested in this because once i tell them about you like there's no going back like i'm (laughs) going to sell you to them like they're going to have no other you know like they're going to want to (laughs) so which was a really wonderful feeling to have that you know you've built again that relationship with someone who trusts you so much with their kids and you know really would recommend you that much, you know, to someone else, not knowing, you know, me, not knowing this other family or anything about them. Um, but so I said, okay, sure, you know, like let let's do it. So you know, I skyped with the dad and you know, um, talked to the family over the internet mm-hmm. and um, hadn't met them at all before, you know, flying over there until they picked me up at the airport. But uh, yeah, so I just I knew that. Um, you know, working with kids. I love working with kids. It's what I do all the time now. Yeah. And, um, and so it just kind of, I was, like I said, I, I finished, I graduated college with psychology and you can't really do much with a bachelor's in psychology, like, it's, mm-hmm. which is why I ended up back in, in a restaurant for the time being. And so it was kind of like, I know at some point I'm going to have to figure out what I want to do next and what mm-hmm. direction I want to go with, you know, psychology, um, but for the time being, it was like, I enjoy working with kids and I would love this chance.
0: Mm. So what did you do in that during the year night like when you besides, uh, uh, what do you do at night when you're not babysitting?
2: Oh, I would hit the clubs. <laughs> um, again, like being, so it was, I would have been 22, I think 22 and 23. Yeah. I'm trying to remember exactly. Maybe 21, 22. Mm. I think 22. Anyways, um, yeah, so the family lived, you know, close enough that I didn't drive the entire time I was over there. Um, I rode a bike everywhere, which now I joke about I'm not getting on bikes because I've had way too many bike accidents, um, which usually involved me being intoxicated in the Netherlands and, you know, (sighs) getting caught in train tracks or something. Um, Mm -hmm. But on the weekends, you were Close enough that you could hop on the train and you could go. I mean, I would go into Amsterdam, or we would go to some of the other neighboring cities in the Netherlands, or um, you know, we would take weekend trips and you know, couch surfing using that. You mm. know, go to Paris for the weekend or Germany, um, Belgium. So I was able to travel some as well, um, which was great. And we also that the house was about maybe 20 minutes from the beach, there was a beach, Mm -hmm. so on the weekends, um, another nanny um, and I, who were good friends, would ride our bikes out to the beach, and just, you know, hang out on the beach for the day, in the afternoon, you know, while we had our time off, and yeah, just kind of, it was cool, it was a different um, type of life experience, you know, the culture, and being able to um, do things differently, it was Yeah, yeah
0: bring you back to Atlanta. and Do you have a favorite place? What's your favorite place in Atlanta?
2: So I really enjoy Oakland Cemetery. Mm. Um, I, there's just something to me about cemeteries in general, walking through them. They're just very peaceful and serene. Um, there was one in Milledgeville, Georgia, where I went to undergrad that was just a block away from my apartments, and so you know being able to walk through there, um, sometimes it just feels like you're in a, a whole nother world mm-hmm. um, and so Oakland Cemetery I love um, I just think it's really beautiful. haven't walked around there as much recently, um, but mm-hmm. now that Caroline's a little bit bigger, I should take her down there sometime. Um, but I, I really like Oakland Cemetery as far as a, a place that you know is kind of a nice little. Walking, get away uh,
0: mm-hmm.
2: from here.
0: I, was, I would say cemetery is one my favorite place as well. Uh huh. So a lot of people when they think about cemetery, especially from other countries like China, is right? It's like cemetery. Why would you want to go to cemetery? Some stuff like very scary place that gonna you know just remind you death all the time. Like, um, and what do you feel? I guess do you think about something when you are there and stuff like that?
2: Yeah, I guess it probably depends on like each time. I mean death is, you know, one of those certainties in life that, you know, you may not want to think about it, it can be very uncomfortable to think about. um, But you know, you know, it's going to happen at some Mm -hmm. point. And I think for me, it's funny, because for a really long time, I I kept saying I want to be buried, I always wanted to be buried, you know, everyone's doing the cremation these days. um, And so that's probably the route that I'll go. But For the longest time there was just something about being able to you know see the headstones and see the person's name and to think about like who was this person you know just to have some place to go back to Mm. to acknowledge or to remember you know these people who are gone you know um but but still you know have a lasting presence you know in this place Mm. um and so you know i think about that and um yeah, you know, what their what what was their life like? And, and just, you know, it's kind of a peaceful place to just kind of walk around and, and take some time to forget about whatever else might be going on with work or school or family. Um, and just kind of notice the nature as well, you know, being outside and seeing, you know, the plants and the flowers, the trees, hearing the animals that you might hear um, and kind of being mindful of that, that you might not pick up on or notice in an everyday, you know, walk around the neighborhood.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of reminds me of that too. Like when I go there, it's like, it kind of distress you, right? Because you feel like, okay, whoever trouble you right now, it doesn't really matter if you, one day when you're underground, right?
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> right. <laughs> also,
0: Do you think about death a lot?
2: I don't think about it a lot. There's definitely been times in, um, you know, classes, different grad school classes where, you know, we've talked about it and, I think I mentioned earlier, you know, it can be such an uncomfortable com- conversation or, or subject to bring up. A lot of times, I think, you know, my go-to is is humor. You know, like, mm. let me make a joke about it or because it does feel uncomfortable to think about. Yeah. Um, and thinking about death, you know, like, it It still scares me. You know, some people are like, you know, I'm ready for it and that's great. Um, but yeah. With me not, no, I don't know what it's gonna be like. I don't, you know, like, I don't know how it's gonna come, you know. Um, so all those uncertainties that surround it, you know, for sure, you know, are, are scary and, and knowing that, you know, it's going to happen. Um, so there is that acceptance, but it's, you know, I want it to be painless. You know, I don't want it to be long. I don't want, you know, you think about the loved ones in your life, you know, who sure I'm gone, like I'm, I'm done now, (laughs) but like, you know, everyone who you've left behind and the impacts on them. Um, you know it's a painful thing to think about Mm, Um, yeah and I I think about uh, for a while like I was convinced that I was going to die in a car accident like that was just this is how I'm gonna go and I'm still halfway convinced that that's gonna be um, what happens for me because I have a history extensive history of different car accidents oh uh, which I've been relatively lucky of you know walking out Unharmed and everything, but it just for whatever reason, you know. I I've, every every time after the next one, I'm like, I swear, if I have one more car accident, I'm gonna move somewhere where I don't have to drive. Like I'm just yeah. gonna, um, you know, give up driving.
0: And I'll never learn, right?
2: <laughs> exactly. See, yeah, I didn't even need to, you know. Yes. Um, so yeah. So thinking about it, you know, and I think about you know the people who are close to me that I care a lot about, you know, and if something were to happen to them tomorrow, you know, in a car accident or whatever, you know, like that is a terrifying thought of, you know, I'm not ready for them to be gone. Like that's not allowed,
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um,
2: but it's totally out of your control because it could, you know, happen at any time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Who is the most influential person in your life?
2: Um, probably my mother um has probably had the most influence on me um she I don't want to use I'm, I'm going to use this word but I feel like I shouldn't use the word nagging <laughs> um but in a good kind of way uh has taught me you know a lot about you know pursuing my interests I mean I wouldn't be a school counselor right now um if it weren't for her she kind of helped guide me that direction um And she's just been really great about, you know, helping to remind me of, you know, financial savings and, Mm -hmm. you know, you need to be doing this and have you done this, Um, you know, and helping me to adult (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, and giving me, you know, those pointers that it's like, okay, yeah, let me make a monthly contribution to my Roth IRA so I can retire at some point and have money to travel and do this, you know, and, um, you know, without those kind of little reminders, it would be something that just, you know, I'd forget about, you know, if I wasn't thinking about it or hadn't been told, you know, a couple of times, like I wouldn't probably do it. Um, but since she's kind of reminded me of these things, I'm like, okay, I'm more aware of it. Let me make sure that I'm doing what I need to do or taking care of this kind of stuff because otherwise, you know, I'm going to go through coasting through life or living, you know, whatever, but then not have, you know, a plan for later on.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You mentioned that she, if it's not for her, uh, you won't be like into like counseling right now. Like, what what do you mean by that?
2: Sure. So, so, okay. So my, my evolution in the work place, which I I feel like I found my calling now. Um, Mm -hmm. but I definitely dabbled in other areas before, you know, figuring out that school counseling was where I wanted to be. And so, Like I said, I graduated with my um, bachelor's in psychology in 2009 and then worked for a year, moved to the Netherlands. And while I was in the Netherlands, I said, "Okay, I need to do some kind of master's program um, in order to do anything with this degree. I'm going to have to get a master's degree in something. So I started looking into different options and counseling. Um, felt like more of a calling than the psychology route. So um, being able to work more with people and talk with people rather than kind of testing or um, the more evaluative side of Mm -hmm. what psychology is. So I um, applied to Georgia State and got into their master's in clinical mental health counseling program in 2011. So that's what brought me back from the Netherlands. And so I did that program, graduated in 2013 and, um, you know, went to try and find a counseling related job in the field, which kind of feels like a catch 22 because everywhere wants you to be a licensed professional counselor Mm -hmm. and you can't be fully licensed until you work and, you know, have an associate licensure for a few years and, you know, get supervision and all this stuff. So it's kind of this catch 22 where you're like, where can I get hired by an agency where I can start working, you know, under someone else. And so I got, I got a job at a methadone clinic, um, working with, um, you know, addictions. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that time was a very interesting period in my life because I would get up and go to work. The clinic opened at five in the morning, Mm -hmm. so I would be at work at 5. AM. And. You know, got off work, I think it was either 1, I think it was about 1.30. Uh, And as much as I would have loved to, you know, be able to go to bed at 7 o'clock at night or whatever, Mm -hmm. I still had Kung Nu and everything. So, um, you know, I'd still maintain my, you know, Monday, Thursday schedule, go to Manny's, Mm -hmm. whatever it would be, get up at 4 in the morning and take afternoon naps every single day.
3: Yeah.
2: But I did that for about a year and a half surprisingly wow. i surprised myself that i was able to maintain that that lifestyle just just Seminole. yeah you know and and um and i you know i i actually became the program director there um mm. once the the woman who was the program director left you know she recommended me and i was like sure why not <laughs> um but eventually you know it was, it was one of those it was, i i knew i was going to burn out it wasn't something yeah. um it wasn't the type of counseling relationships that I really wanted to be able to have, because of course, um, you know, these clients are coming in in order to get, you know, the substance to keep them from, you know, using or to keep them from going through withdrawals and everything. And, you know, so they were obligated to have to meet with me. They didn't really want to. And even with that, I mean, I still had great relationships with my clients and, Mm -hmm. you know, loved them. And, um, you know, once you get to know people, Uh, You know, those again, like I said, those relationships is just, you know, makes all the difference. Yeah. So, you know, it was great, but it was one of those like I knew eventually it's not what I wanted to do long term. Mm -hmm. And so my mom kind of reminded me, hey, look, you're still teaching kids at the dojo. You know, you used to babysit a lot. You love kids. Mm -hmm. Have you ever thought about, you know, counseling and working with kids?
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And um, she was a retired media specialist. So she worked in the school system before she retired. And she was like, you know, you could think about, You should think about the school system, you know, working in a school, you know, um, and being able to have that type of environment. So I started thinking about it. And I was like, okay, you know what? That does sound sound good. And so I actually went back and did a second master's in school counseling. Um, I could have gone and just kind of taken a couple of extra courses. Because there there's a lot of overlap between the clinical mental health counseling and the school counseling, um, but you know, some classes that were more education specific that I needed to get. But I figured I'm quitting my job anyways, so I might as well go back to school full time so I could get a you know research position to help pay for stuff and mm. you know just commit to it. So I did that and graduated um, in 2017 with, um, you know, my master's in school counseling and immediately got a job at the elementary school where I still am now. Love it to death. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, yeah, and I I don't regret it because I'm able to see my kids other than this past, you know, nine months. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, I see them Monday through Friday. You get to know them so well. You get to see them, you know, in all kinds of settings. Um, you know, I thought about beforehand. You know, private practice or something. But you know, right. then I'm only seeing a you know a student or a client for maybe an hour a week. Or you know, it's it's this. I love being able to see them every day, mm-hmm. and especially the ones who are in third grade this year that I've seen since kindergarten. It's it's great just to really get to know them and to be like, I hey, I've seen <laughs> you since you were this teeny little tot, and here you are like getting you know all grown up, and um, yeah, so, so I love that environment and being so, able to be there to support them.
0: Yeah, so what what do you love about it? Uh, besides the, how cute the kids are, right?
2: So, and they're not all cute. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, Good
0: point. I love, Good
1: point.
2: <laughs> I love being able to be an ally for them hmm. um, because there's so many times where you know they feel like and they they will, you know, I'm I'm in trouble for this. You know, the teacher doesn't like me. This is so unfair. And as an adult, you know I can recognize, you know, here's the reasons why, or you know, here's what you did that you're not taking responsibility for, or whatever. But at the time, like that's not what they need to hear. They need mm-hmm. to hear and see that you say, you know what, that does seem really unfair. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, your life like that really sucks, or what, you know, whatever it may be. They just need to feel heard. Yeah. Which so often as adults, we're like. That that issue, like you're not even gonna care about that five years from now. You know, yeah. we we recognize like this isn't gonna matter to you next week. You know, you're gonna forget all about this. But in the moment, you know, that's that's the world to the child. You know, like the world might be falling around them. You know, because they're you know they got messed up clothes or whatever it may be. And while we can see like it's not that big a deal, yeah. you know, it is to them. And so for them to have someone who says, I can see how big of a deal this is for you. And just to allow them a space to be able to feel heard and to share about themselves is such a powerful thing. Because there's so many adults who are busy, you know, the teachers can't do that because they have 20 other kids in the class, you know, and they can't devote that time. um, And don't always have the training or the relationships to be able to do that anyways. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, for me, it's, it's great just to be able to be someone who they can come and talk to. And once you have that relationship and they feel safe to be able to share things with you, you know, they, they'll tell you everything. And, you know, sometimes it's really heavy stuff. And other times it's like, Oh, look at that new dog you got. Awesome. Like, thanks for sharing about your, you know, family pet or whatever it may be. But the fact that they know that they can come to you and that I will listen and I will sit there and, you know, acknowledge and give you the time that you need without being like, well, all right, um, that's all you get. I got to go. You know, you need to go back to class. It's not that big a deal, um, I think, is really important.
0: So so uh, you are, are you a resource for the kids for whenever they feel like they need to talk to someone, ask for advice, and they just go to you or do teachers send them to you?
2: All of the above. So um, I actually, I I go into classrooms and I do lessons um, Mm. the same way that like a a PE teacher or your art teacher would, you know, do their lessons. Um, I build my schedule and I go in so that I see every single class from my pre-K babies to, you know, fifth graders and teach them different lessons on, you know, either social emotional type things um, to academic related stuff, career Um, exploration um, and so I do lessons with everyone and then I run small groups with certain students so that's usually based on like teacher referral or parent request and then um, as far as individuals go they know that they can you know come see me in my office if they have an issue they have to get permission from their teacher they're not supposed to just walk out of class and uh, did out to Ms. Gowan's office. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, sometimes teachers will, you know, recognize like, Hey, okay, this kid doesn't, you know, like, why don't you go take, you know, take the hall pass and go down to Ms. Gowan's office, you know, mm-hmm. because they might not be able to find out what's going on with the student at the time, or the student mm-hmm. might not want to tell them, but they can see that something is up. Mm-hmm. Um, so they know, okay, yeah, go, go see Ms. Gowan. Nice.
0: Talking about kids, I uh, uh, working with kids, uh, when, when did you start teaching case class in some <sighs> Um.
2: Probably sometime in high school.
0: Uh-huh.
2: Maybe, maybe a little bit. I mean, uh, I guess it was probably about when I got my green belt. Although okay. that would have been when I was around 13, I think. Because mm. um, I feel like I assisted um, kind of in the same way that like Cassidy and Fiona um, mm-hmm. started when they got their green belts. Um, so it probably would have been a, around, you know, the age of 13 mm. when I started kind of helping with the kids' classes.
0: Oh, wow. What, what motivated you to, why did you want to help with the kids' class when you were Greenville? That's
2: a good question. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think back at the time, like I'm not, mm. I'm not sure, like my, my thought process is that, you know, I probably would come for kata class and probably rode to the dojo with my dad, and my dad was probably doing it, so I was kind of just there, Mm -hmm. um, and would help out because of that, um, as far as when I was younger, definitely when I got a little bit older, you know, it became more of, you know, I wanted to give back, and Mm -hmm. you know, I was in their spot one time, and it's great to um, be able to see the next generation, and to be able to teach them and and think about who's going to be, you know, coming up in the ranks, you know, and who's going to be up here standing in the instructor line, you know, with us again in another couple of years. And just seeing, you know, the students and knowing that, you know, it's, it's hard as a a kid's class student, but like, don't give up because, you know, like you could be up here. Like, you know, if you just don't quit, you'll be up here one day, like it's going to happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you say you're Getting your green belt at 13. So how, how old did you start it, some Samishu?
2: I started when I was six, actually.
0: Oh, wow.
2: <laughs> and a lot, of, a lot of people always say seven because that's our age now. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, we don't want to brag that, you know, back in the day, six-year-olds were in the dojo. <laughs> so. um, but, yeah, I started when I was six. And my dad would know a lot more about this um, because, as a sixth, like I, I don't remember too much. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time, the kids program wasn't really happening. So mm-hmm. my first test was actually for one green stripe, mm-hmm. an adult level one green stripe, and then it was like after that the kids program started coming into um, play a lot more, and so. I have all my previous belts, and so my white belt has that green stripe on it, but then also yellow stripes, and so mm-hmm. I carried that adult green stripe with me through my yellow belt, purple belt, blue belt until I got back to my green belt.
0: Ah, nice. A so, kind
2: of unique situation there.
0: Yeah, yeah. So do you remember your first day of class or first week in the beginning? No? I
2: don't. I don't know. Not oh. anything from that. Mm. I have pictures and things from, not the first class, but um, from being a little, you know, one green striper um, and being, you know, a wee little one at the dojo at the time. But as far as, yeah, my memories from those really early days,
3: Mm -hmm.
2: nothing too much. I mean, I remember some of my kids' classes um, Mm. and I remember the instructor's. Uh, which is cool because like Master Jessica, you know, at the time was Senpai Jessica and was one of my instructors. Um, You know, Master Mary was one of my instructors. There were two um, teenagers, Brown Belt, Senpai Anna and Senpai Terrence, um, who, you know, were doing the kids program as well. So, you know, there's all these people who I remember. But uh, yeah, so, you know, it's cool to think back about those people and all the ones you know instructors and, and teachers who you've had over the years that might not you know still be training or might have moved on or might be you know married to the head of the style and you know <laughs> a master now which is really cool
0: yeah when when did you become conscious that you enough to say i want to stick with this can you? That's like,
2: uh, so i never really did any other sports or activities um, which probably is part of the reason why it, it helped because it wasn't, I never took time off to go do soccer season or gymnastics or swimming or anything. Um, it was always just kung new and I think it became such a habit mm-hmm. and, um, you know, just routine
3: mm-hmm.
2: that, you know, it just kind of continued on and probably in my high school years was really when it started to become more of a, a part of my identity. Um, mm-hmm because you, you know you tell people you do karate and at least as a kid or maybe in my opinion as a, a younger woman you know people are like oh you do karate sure okay let me see let me attack you and see what you can do yeah. and it gets really annoying to be like all right guys yes you're twice my size and you know like you you're bigger than me and stronger than me of course you know um and so I wouldn't always really talk about you know I do karate or whatever um until I feel like you know maybe high school I got more comfortable and a little bit more confident with it mm. and that yeah you still might be twice my size and okay you can try and grab me like this but I'm going to be able to show you at least a little bit um or maybe I'm going to move my hand before you can grab me um because I'm starting to be more aware of those things that um that I'm able to do and that, you know, like that my, my training has kind of ingrained in me and instilled in me.
3: Mm, and see.
2: then, you know, I took time off in college, but coming back, I mean, part of it is the community of Kung, of Sung Shu and Kung Nu in general. Um, it's just such a welcoming community, you know, it really is like family. Mm. Um, so it's, it doesn't feel like once you leave, you can't come back. You know, it's been so easy to just be like, yeah, I'm going to come on back, you know. I might be rusty, but, you know, whatever. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. So you stopped training because of college? Where did you go to college?
2: Milledgeville, which was about an hour and a half away. Um, So, yeah, because I, you know, went off to college and came home one summer in between my uh, freshman and sophomore year and tested for, I guess it was my second black stripe. Mm. um, in between then, but then sophomore, junior, senior, um, year, instead of kind of coming back home and living at at home, I stayed in Milledgeville and lived there through the summer, did summer classes, worked all summer, you know, so it was kind of like, well, you know, I'll be, you know, back at some point. Um, but everyone, you know, of course is once you go away, everyone's like, start your own dojo, start your own dojo. Like, come on, you can do it. And it's like, I'm in college right now. Like Mm -hmm. I want to have a college experience. I mean, I, I could, and there's plenty of you know, brown belts and black belts who, you know, get their black belts or get their brown belts and do that, you know, and that's great. <laughs> um, but it was not, you know, something that for me I felt a need to do or a passion to do. Yeah. Um, you know, I just wanted to have that regular kind of college experience. Yeah. And so when I finished and graduated, then I moved back to Atlanta. Um, and that's when I trained for my black belt, um, from 2009 to 2010.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you choose parties over Kanu. <laughs> I, don't, I don't blame you. so
2: <laughs> I mean, usually they go hand in hand, but yeah. Yeah. Um, at the time there was no Kanu in Milledgeville, but there were parties. So, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do
0: you do any kind of training in college? Any kind of nice sport uh, exercise, any kind of physical activity stuff?
2: Running was a lot of what I did. Um, and I miss it and one day I swear I will get back to running and when I say running I don't mean like crazy long marathons I mean like three miles Mm. um but being able to run either at the gym or um outside you know around the neighborhoods um I really enjoy doing that
0: so let's go back to some of the questions um what is your greatest struggle right now
2: um, probably trying to balance everything. Mm-hmm. Um, balancing mother responsibilities and duties uh, with work and kung nu and family obligations and everything and, and just finding a balance and being able to shift priorities and being okay with the way things are. Um, mm-hmm. you know, because so much changes with a child. Um And, and, you know, you can look back and be like, I remember when I had all this free time Um, and now it's like, that doesn't happen anymore. Um, But that's okay. You know, like, like I said, things change and things shift. Um, But being able to just keep a balance um, between, you know, what I, sometimes I feel like I bite off more than maybe I can chew, you know, like I'm, I'm really gung ho about like, Oh yeah, let's do this. And let's do this. And then all of a sudden it's like, Ooh, okay, I guess I'm going to be working on this, you know, over the weekend or at night after Caroline goes to bed or whatever it might be, uh, just to be able to get stuff done.
0: So yeah, so what are your strat- strategies or ten uh, like tactics to to deal with to find a balance? Like, what what are you trying out to uh, actually helping you? To- I
2: use a lot of lists. Um, ah. So I make to do lists um, that I can like physically cross off. Um, So I'm a big list maker. Like I, and it probably drives Seth nuts. We have a dry erase board and I will literally every week I will update it with like, here's my meetings. Here's my lessons. Here's what we're doing for dinner this week. Here's who's going to black belt class. Here's when we have, you know, like I I like to have everything laid out where I can see it so I can think, you know, okay, if I know that, you know, on Thursday we've got our um, holiday, party right or something shoe holiday party then you know by Wednesday I need to make sure that whatever picture slideshow I put together is done so I need to be working on it you know by Monday and Tuesday and, and just being able to prioritize based on when things are happening in order to um you know stay on top of the different obligations that I have.
0: Well what do you put on a list like in a big calendar like how do you visualize in the whole like big picture like do you, do you have a calendar that you put on the list on?
2: I have so many different calendars. (laughs) I have, um, I mean, I have like my Google calendar, um, Uh that I use for mostly like personal things, doctor's appointments and you know, Uh like, um, I have in front of me right here Mm. is my school calendar. So when I have lessons that I'm going into teachers classrooms and doing lessons or meetings, I write that on here so I can see that in front of me. And I also have a, um, you know, work, my work email has an Outlook calendar that I put everything in as well. So I get notifications when those things are popping up with, um, with other things. We have, uh, an app on our phone and the computer, um, that Seth introduced me to that he probably regrets now called Trello. Mm. And so, um, I always say now, you know, with our, like with grocery lists, you know, we start to get low on something and he'll tell me and I'll be like, put it on the Trello. <laughs> um, because that way you know i I have something if I'm thinking about it, I can put it down you know immediately,
3: yeah. so that
2: you know when I forget otherwise, because there's fifteen other things happening, at least it's like, oh yeah, okay, that's you know, I have my podcast We're interview with you at three o'clock today <laughs>
0: nice, nice, so uh I'm honored to be on there so <laughs> so I mean to so this sounds very organized personally, I have tried to do that i I tried doing that myself, but I just haven't having a hard time like getting, getting uh, organized like having the list, the calendar, right? So mm-hmm. that kind of made me realize that, I think you're, I talked, spoke to Sensei Mark, your dad last time, and he, he mentioned that he he's a big fan, he's making a lot of lists too, right? Mm-hmm. So is that coming from him? Uh, like- yeah.
2: It might be I don't think when I was younger that he made as many lists. Um, but it could be something in the gallon blood
3: mm-hmm. that,
2: yeah. um, you know, it, it's nice to be able to feel like you've accomplished something or, in my mind, I I don't want to forget anything. So the thought of like, Oh, my gosh, what if I totally forgot about shoes interview? Well, that's not going to happen when I have <laughs> it, you know, written down,
3: Yeah.
2: Um, you know, in, in multiple places, or, you know, I can look up and see things and just be able to be like, okay, when am I going to be able to pencil in, you know, running to the post office or, um, you know, making this
0: happen. Okay. Um, yeah. Nice. Nice. And what are your, what are you most afraid of right now?
2: Probably someone close to me, um, getting sick or dying. Um, Mm. you know, the thought of like you mentioned, like I haven't lost a parent yet. Luckily Mm. I've been very fortunate. Um, to have both of them still around, um, as well as, you know, my husband and um Caroline. So there's definitely, you know, a fear of the day when, you know, something may happen and that, you know, will change. Um and it's just totally out of your control.
0: Yeah. 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 I guess recognizing is is out of our control is one important I I think uh thing to recognize i think yeah
2: Mm -hmm. yeah and yeah (laughs) i mean there's there's nothing i can do to change it you know um and i don't want to live in you know perpetual fear and not you know do anything because i don't want to you know risk someone getting in a car and then possibly getting in a car you know you can't live you can't let that anxiety stop you from living your life um but it definitely is something that i'm like you know be careful, you know, uh, when you go out or when you're doing certain things. You know, yeah. Seth, will get, Seth will get on the roof to, like, leaf blow the leaves off the roof. And I'm always like, be careful coming off the ladder. Like, if you fall <laughs> in front of me, like, I'm going to be super traumatized and don't want to have this experience. <laughs>
0: yeah. Make sure you do a front row. forward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: I'm not going to be able to catch you, Seth. So yeah. do a front <laughs>
0: and I'm to do a, a front combo when you land mm-hmm right <laughs>
2: yes yes exactly
0: nice so mm-hmm. um i guess uh actually just thinking about it, there's nothing you can do i guess uh just remind me of the conversation i had with master alan he mentioned that uh, one thing we could do actually just to having talked to our parents and the people around us more right just ask them more questions get them how just ask them more questions and talk to them a bit more that way you can yeah that's one way to i guess one, one thing we can do so, yeah. mm-hmm
2: yeah and your podcast and are doing exactly that which is great too not to say that you know you're only talking to old people but you know (laughs) being able to capture some of those stories and get some of those experiences um you know is is really cool and really important too yeah yeah
0: well to be fair (laughs) you are younger than me so that is
2: true that is true
0: (laughs) so what is the happiest moment of your life
2: Um, The birth of Caroline. So I was thinking about this. Um, I told Seth, I said, birth of Caroline and then our wedding. Uh Because our wedding for the longest time, I mean, it was just like such a perfect experience. And it was so much fun. And just everything was great. And I loved it. It was was just great. It was, you know, a wonderful day. Um, But then when Caroline was born, there's something... Like, I don't, I don't even know how to explain it, but I would, I would think that other parents um, can understand it, but there's just a love, there's a feeling mm. that I had never experienced before the second that she arrived, you know, and I was like, oh my God, okay, like this is, I've never felt a love this powerful or this intense. I mean, it was just so new mm. um, and it was like, okay, like it, it just something just shifted, you know, and, and clicked. And, um, you know, it's it's the love of a parent for their child, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it was just, you know, like there was no way to explain it or to be prepared for what it was going to be like until it just happened. And it was like, whoa, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <woof. laughs> but, um, yeah, so that was the best, you know, moment having, having her arrive. Uh, yeah. Uh,
3: yeah
0: couple of questions regarding the decision making. These are some of the questions I'm very curious about myself as well. Okay. Uh, if you could undo a previous decision made in your life, uh, what would it be?
2: Yeah, so um, back in 2009, after graduating undergrad, um, I went and spent six weeks on the Appalachian Trail. Mm. And I started hiking, you know, from um, Georgia. And at the time, We were only, I was with a partner at the time, and we were only planning on, you know, about six weeks because we had a friend's wedding that we were coming back um, for. Mm -hmm. And um, so we we did it, and it was, you know, a wonderful, fun, great experience living in the woods for six weeks, you know, having that trail life. And um, when his parents came to pick us up in Damascus, Virginia, it was the 4th of July, and like I said, we were coming back, I think the wedding was like the next week, it was like the 11th or something in July. And they said, you know, we both kind of looked at each other, like, I don't want to leave the trail, you know, like, mm. this is so much fun. Like, do we, you know, is it really worth it? But we we're like, yeah, okay, you know, we're coming back for our friend's wedding. And um, his parents asked us, like, are you sure? Like, we can we can leave you guys and we can turn around and we can drive back to Atlanta without y'all in the car, you know? And, um, but we said, no, you know, we, we said that this is what we're going to do and this is what we did. Now it's time to come back. But in hindsight, because of course I'm not friends with that college friend anymore who got married, Mm -hmm. um, whose wedding I went to, um, if I could undo something, I would go back and I would keep hiking North on the trail, um, instead of coming back for that wedding that, you know, Mm now I'm not even friends with that person anymore.
0: Ah, I see. So what's yeah. the, <laughs> is it because of the experience with the person you were hiking with, or is it more just like hiking up, or just wanna do more on the trail?
2: So both, I mean, at the at the time, um, you know, it was my boyfriend at the time, and it was a great, um, you know, we, we had a great relationship for being able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which is not, I wouldn't want to go hike on the Appalachian Trail with just anyone, <laughs> you know. Um, but you also, you you meet other through hikers or other hikers who are, you know, at the same pace as you or around the same, you know, um, parts of the trail. So you start to, you know, meet new people and, and, you know, have a hiking group. And so we did that and met up with three guys who, the five of us were kind of a hiking group for, you know, a few weeks um, while we were out there. And, um, the experience is you go into towns every couple of days and, you know, stay at the different hostels and it's always so catered towards, you know, through hikers or hikers on the AT that, you know, the, the lifestyle is just such a relaxed, mm. cool outdoorsy vibe, you know, like I'm yeah. just gonna chill here at uncle Johnny's cabin in Tennessee for a few days, coast down the river, do some day drinking, you know, get back on the trail at some point, you know, keep hiking up North. Mm. Um, But it was just, there was a lot of, you know, what they call trail magic where people will surprise hikers with, you know, food or, um, you know, other things that, that just, you, you know, get surprised with on the trail. And it's a really cool
0: experience. Were were you able to go back to that trail since then?
2: No, I haven't. I mean, I've, I've done a couple little day hikes, um, Mm -hmm. you know, in different parts, you know, Seth and I have gone up to like North Georgia or. Um, parts of North Carolina, um, like in the Blue Ridge Mountains that are, you know, overlap the trail. So, you know, I've done little sections where it's like, I know at some point I was on here, you know, mm-hmm. 10 plus years ago. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and that's, that's the other thought is, you know, kind of like with the Netherlands, you know, to be able to set aside the time
3: mm. that it would
2: take to hike, you know, all the way up to Maine
3: mm.
2: is, not, you know, I'm not going to have that opportunity again until, kids are out of the house you know yeah um it's not something i can just up and leave my family right now because yeah, i want to live in the woods for six months
0: <laughs> yeah it's also a different right you're a different person now Ned, to to experience that right so it's everything's gonna be it's gonna be very very different right but, oh, absolutely yeah no, absolutely
2: right. and you know being being back you know again 21 years old um, you know the the shape I was in as far as hiking and preparing to hike and carrying you know a thirty five pound backpack on my bag you know every day while hiking mm-hmm. you know i I haven't trained for that you know since then and I haven't you know prepared or conditioned my body so it's not something I could just up and do on a whim you know we um yeah. we prepared ourselves with you know weekend hikes and um, other backpacking hikes you know beforehand to make sure we could carry the gear that we had and you know be prepared to hike you know 10 plus miles a day you know um before camping
0: yeah so i guess i want to get into a little bit uh going back to your kids class when you were first uh, doing kids class in uh, in some issue, yes. right you mentioned that master mary was one of your teacher instructor mm-hmm. right? um, do you remember how she teach you how did she influence you in certain ways
2: Yeah. So she was definitely, um, you know, you've probably heard stories and people talk about, you know, everyone would like stand up straight as she walked by. Mm -hmm. Um, she was definitely one of those instructors where it's like, you always want to put your best foot forward. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I guess I should say that you should do want to do that for all of your instructors. Um, but definitely, you know, just the, the level of, um, expertise that she had, um, and just the way that she carried herself, you always wanted to look your best and do your best and try your hardest and, mm-hmm. you know, show her that, you know, here's here's what I can do. Here's how well I can perform. Um, you know, you just, you really wanted to, I don't want to say impress, um, but, you know, you you just, you wanted to give it your all. She was inspiring
3: mm-hmm.
2: in a way that, you know, you wanted to make sure that you showed her how much you were learning and how, how much you were um, gaining from her. And uh, yeah, so she was, she was great. She was intimidating, but in like a good way yeah. um, and being a child at the time, you know, it's, it's probably a whole different level as an adult, mm-hmm. um, you know, but it, you know, I, I try and embody some of those things. I think sometimes where, you know, I want to be very personable still, um, and you know where you feel comfortable coming up to me or asking me questions if you don't understand something, but also that you're going to stand up straight and when I tell you we're going to bow in, you're going to do your best bow, mm-hmm. you know, and taking things seriously as well.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned that she was inspiring to you. How 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 was how, how was she not inspiring you?
2: Well, she also a, a smaller person, um, but the level of her confidence level. Um, mm-hmm. And just the way that she carried herself, you know, Mm. was very much one where it's like, okay, you know, you you may be a smaller woman, but like, you're not going to let people push you around. You're not going to let someone, um, you know, talk over you or, or, you know, do these things like you're strong and you're confident. And that's what I want to be.
0: Ah, So did she like say that explicitly or did she convey it in other ways?
2: I don't remember her ever saying those things explicitly, at least not to me, Um, Mm -hmm. but it was more of the way that she carried herself and and conveyed these things, you know, that she would hold her own, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and being a woman in the dojo, there's not always been a lot of us, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it kind of ebbs and flows right now. We're fortunate to have a lot more female students, um, but at times, you know, especially being an upper rank, I'd be the only woman or the only girl, um, you know, with a whole bunch of grown men. (laughs) And so that can be intimidating Mm -hmm. and it can be, you know, I don't want to say hard to feel comfortable because I've never felt uncomfortable in the dojo. Um, But, you know, it definitely, it stands out to you. um, When you are the only person, you know, the only woman around. Mm -hmm. And so you feel like, okay, well, I'm going to hold my own. You know, I'm not going to let you guys intimidate me. You know, I deserve to be here just as much as each of you.
0: Yeah. 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 So, um, do you have any uh, like as you were growing up with like you almost like growing up, your trial almost like Master Mary was kind of present in your childhood as well. Like, how um, do you have any stories that uh, you would like to share
2: about Master Mary?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, well, I think everyone's heard the story about her ki-ying, ah. um and scaring away the attacker. Mm. That, that's a favorite one to be told um
0: can you can you you tell that story again
2: sure yeah um because I was like as far as personal stories with myself and her like there's not one that comes to mind like let me tell you about the time when you know um again probably because I was so young like eight-year-old Rachel (laughs)
3: um
2: because it's a different relationship you know with yeah that age difference versus you know someone like Alan or Doug um who you know knew her at a different time in their life but so the master mary this is the famous and I, I love telling this to our kids class students too because it it again goes to show you how important your voice is mm. and um the way that you carry yourself so she was leaving a store and um, mm. one night i think it was around the holidays i was walking back to her car and noticed that somebody was falling behind her mm. and you know being aware of these surroundings you know knowing that there's no one else around her you know and that This person was probably coming up to attack her, um, you know, or or wanted something. So um, she turned around and without, you know, using any physical techniques, she just ki-eyed as loud as she could. And that scared the person enough that he ran away. Oh, wow. And he he decided, okay, this person is not worth following anymore. <laughs> um, I'm not going to try and, you know, attack her or do anything else. Um, and it was just from using her voice, um, you know, which we tell students is, is a weapon. And, and people try and tell you not to use your voice. You know, be quiet. You know, it's like, no, you've got to do the opposite. And that just goes to show, like, how how powerful it can be. Yeah. you know, that he didn't have to get any closer, you know, he just decided, okay, this is someone who's <laughs> um, not going to be an easy victim. Yeah, um, And just by using your voice, you can show how you're, you know, going to be the very strong, powerful, difficult victim, <laughs> should yeah. that person try and come any closer.
0: Yeah, yeah. If you, I mean, if you project your voice, now, like, if your voice is so strong already, you know, it's hard to imagine what else can you do, right? <laughs>
2: right, right. Yeah.
0: So do you and tell going that?
2: Yeah, you're gonna make a lot of noise. I'm not gonna go down quietly or easily.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you tell that story to the kids? Mm-hmm. You, yeah. Okay.
2: Because you know we practice self defense, and you know it's like okay, I'm, I'm you know I'm gonna grab you. You're gonna thumb escape, and I want you to ki ai and ki You know, or no. And it's all these wimpy, uh, you know, little little screams, you know, if you will. Um, and it's like, no, 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 no. You need to scare me with your voice. And they don't have the opportunity to practice doing that a lot. <laughs> you know, I don't imagine that parents are sitting at home like, yes, please yell at me in my face to scare me. So when you give students and children the opportunity and, and the encouragement to do exactly that, like it feels so... Um, Probably foreign at first for them because yeah. it's like I've, I've been told not to. Like, you want me to yell in your face? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yes, that's exactly what I want you to do. I want you to try and scare me. Like, I understand you might not have you know this um, opportunity any other time mm-hmm. or with anyone else telling you to do this, but if somebody is you know coming to attack you, that's a, that's a weapon that's even more powerful possibly than your punches and your kicks, you know, that you can use to boom scare them right away.
0: Yeah, so. Ah, oh, that's nice. What other story do you tell kids? Like when you are teaching the kids class, like what other story do you tell them to help them get into to teach them something? Yeah.
2: So I try and talk about um, you know relating it again to kind of real world situations or or things that they may be um, you know experiencing at school. You know, we talk about the five A's kind of as it relates to, you know, potential bullying at school. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it can also be, um, you know, relating things to academics. Um, we t- You know, I, I just try and be um, truthful with students.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: and like what came to mind recently was um, on Thursdays, so Senpai Grant is with me for the Thursday kids classes. And um, we pumped up, you know, y'all's black belt test and talked all about it. And the Thursday before y'all's test, you know, I had the kids surprise him and, you know, wish him good luck and everything. And so when we came back afterwards and he had gotten his probation, you know, I asked how, you know, what do you feel comfortable doing? He was like, you can, you know, explain it. And so, you know, I I wanted to make sure it was a way that would try and be able to relate to the kids. And so I said, you know, have you ever worked? really hard for something and you didn't get the grade that you wanted mm. and so some of the kids especially the older ones were like yeah you know <laughs> some, of, some of the younger ones are like no i always get A's. <laughs> um but you know especially the older ones who who do have to struggle more sometimes with school you know mm. and you know so yeah maybe you work really hard for something and you don't get the outcome that you want right yeah, yeah. um you know, this is, this was a chance for me to be like, so that's what happened with Senpai Grant, right? Mm -hmm. He worked really hard. He did his absolute best. He didn't get the result that he wanted, right? Mm -hmm. He didn't fail. He didn't get an F, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but he's got, you know, some work to do before he can get this, you know, next promotion or this level. Mm -hmm. Um, And so being able to kind of try and relate it to students so that they, they see, you know, okay, yeah, okay. I can, I can understand that. Mm -hmm. You know, when I test, I want to make sure that, you know, I'm doing my best or that I'm putting my best foot forward and, um, you know, in relation to school too, you know, Mm -hmm. I I can understand like, yeah, when I'm working on, you know, whatever project or school assignment it might be, you know, I want to put my best foot forward. And sometimes even if I do put my best, it's not, you know, the same level that the teacher would expect, Mm -hmm. you know, or that they want and it's disappointing. Um, But part of life is being able to manage those disappointments and to learn from them, and to grow from them, mm-hmm. and you know to rise to those challenges. To not say, "Well, I didn't get what I wanted, so I'm just going to give up." Yeah. You know, what's the point in trying? Um, you know, versus I didn't get what I wanted, and I know what I need to do, and so I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep working towards this, and I'm going to get it one day. And it's mm-hmm. not going to be maybe the way that I expected it to look, um, but you know, I care enough about it that I'm going to keep pushing forward and, you know, working on that perseverance and just trying to kind of teach those skills and in a roundabout kind of way. Um, And it lets the students see, you know, that we're human too. We make mistakes. We don't always succeed. We're not, you know, perfect. (laughs) Um, You know, we're, we're just grown-up versions of them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That sounds like, sounds like a positive impact of grants, probation in a way yeah
2: and you know i asked him afterwards because i i realized i was like oh man i totally just like talked the whole time grant like did you want to say you know like i'm so sorry like i hope i didn't overstep anything and he was like no like i you know he he said he appreciated hopefully he was telling the truth you know i appreciate the way that you explained it he was like i wasn't really sure what i was gonna say Mm -hmm. um but you know that was a way that you know can make it more relatable yeah uh, uh, you know so (laughs)
0: Uh, one thing that strikes me is the way you are able to communicate that the whole net to the kids in a way that are very uh relatable and also telling a story in a way like that's for me, I mean I'm always having a hard time I struggle like telling communicating stuff correctly the way I want it, like telling a coherent story but mm-hmm. how 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 are you so good at it and how are you is its it Is it? When did you, how did you develop it? Like, did, was it unconsciously since you were a kid? Like, did anything you do in your when you were a child that helped you do that?
2: I'm, I'm sure that the counseling programs that I've done um, mm. have helped to make it, you know, and, and just practice and experience. Um, but I think, kind of like I mentioned earlier, um, you know, with so many, like, of our philosophies, right, you can... You can memorize them right before your test and you can spit it out on your test and you can forget all about it. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean anything. Um, but there's a reason why Osensei came up with these philosophies. There's a reason why we have them. There's a reason why they're at different levels um, and different ranks. And so to be able to try and break it down and to think about like, w- what does this mean for me? Or what does this mean for me right now? Because they're going to change, um, you know, as you, As you age and mature, um, you know, the philosophies might mean one thing to you one day and something different to you the next or, you know, um, so being able to think about when talking to kids, um, you know, just making it relatable and making it, um, you know, how can I, you know, and and part of it came from, um, you know, Sensei Doug and Sensei Smack always telling the kids, you know, okay, well, when you take your kids test, you know, we want you to pass with an A. You know, we're not going to, you know, we don't want you to pass with a C. So if you're going to, you know, if you're not quite ready, you're kind of borderline, you know, wouldn't you rather wait and get an A, you know, instead of getting a C. And most of the time kids are like, yeah. yeah.
1: Um,
2: so it kind of, you know, started with that of thinking about like, okay, you know what? This can kind of, I can kind of stretch this, of, you know, we didn't quite get an A. We got more of a C and, you know, it's disappointment. And, you know, that's <laughs> a feeling that we're all going to deal with in our lives. And you know, so that doesn't have to be shied away from, um, you know, sometimes I feel like we try and put up, you know, a front because we, we feel like we have to, um, carry ourselves a certain way for, you know, our students. And, and we sometimes do, you know, as instructors, there's definitely boundaries that we need to have, um, and, you know, being mindful of that in our relationships. But there's other times where it's good, I think, to show those vulnerabilities, Mm-hmm. and show those disappointments and show those times where you know you are human and yeah. you know I'm I'm going through something similar that you are or I'm going through something you know in my personal life that might be impacting the way that I'm teaching you right now or whatever it may be and you know here's why or here's what it is and you know now you understand and you know um can better understand where I'm coming from or what might be going on when I am teaching you
0: yeah nice how long have you been teaching a kids class now? Maybe ten, more than yeah. ten years, right?
2: <laughs> like, like twenty years now, I guess. Oh,
0: uh, yeah. Did, did you ever think I made Did you ever get tired of it?
2: <laughs> I mean, definitely. There are some times where you know, it, it, I feel like you. Um, sometimes you can feel like you're stuck in a rut, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what do, what you know? What am I going to teach this week, or what am I going to you know? Um, so there, there are times where it kind of. Goes up and down. As far as um, you know, is this still something I want to do? Um, but I—I I mean, I again, it's one of my passions and seeing the the kids in the kids' class and just you know their personalities and um, you know, especially right now, those who are still coming to the virtual
3: um, mm-hmm. yeah.
2: classes. It's like you—you you, you have to go and you have to give your all because these kids are stuck in front of a computer screen all day doing virtual schooling, and then they're still choosing to come to this virtual karate class as well. So like, you know, when you think about the fact of what they're doing to be able mm-hmm. to do this, like, you know, like, oh, I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna, you know, give it my best for these guys as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah I, I really enjoyed teaching our kids while I was uh, when I was teaching here, right? He's just mm-hmm. uh, just so much nice energy, right?
2: It is. It is. It can be very refreshing. They're, they're fun and they give you a whole new perspective on things. And uh, it's, I mean, working with children is totally different than working with adults. Uh,
0: yeah. So and that was almost like a joking question, kind of in your way. I, I was surprised that you say you, were say, you were saying that you were, you were in, in, in a, you feel like you were in the in in rocks sometimes. Like, <laughs> like, it's like, what do you, how do you, how do you deal with those when you were these, those kinds of, State. Sometimes,
2: yeah, sometimes it's kind of like, you know what, I, I'm going to do some extra games today, or yeah. we're going to do something that's totally not in your curriculum. Yeah. Um, you know, because sometimes you feel like, all right, well, we've been working on one every single class, you know, I don't want to do that again. These kids are probably tired of it as well. Um, you know, and you want to keep them enthusiastically engaged about whatever it is as well. So it might be like, all right, you know what? we're going to learn Tambo stuff today or, you know, we're going to play some games. We're going to do something totally different just to spice it up and, um, you know, make it exciting for, you know, myself and for them.
0: Yeah. Cause uh, every time I see you, my impression of you is that you have such a, you always like almost like emanating, Positive energy all the time, right? So it's it's hard for me to to surprise to hear that you sometimes you just feel a little bit in the rush. (laughs) (laughs)
2: I'm glad I hide that well, then. It doesn't doesn't happen that often, Uh, and you know sometimes you might feel like you're kind of, you know, low energy or whatever, and then you come into the dojo, and then you know you start to see students, and then you know it totally can be contagious, and and, Mm -hmm. in a good way of like their energy is going to give me energy. And then, you know, I start to feel better because there's times where, you know, like, I'm like, I don't want to go to class, but I know (laughs) I have to. And then, of course, those are always the classes that are like the best ones. And you leave and you're like, oh, I'm so glad I went to class. That was exactly what I needed.
0: Yeah. 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 It's like, it's like every time I go to work out, I always, I never regret the workout I did. I always regret the workout I did not do. (laughs) (laughs) So um, last question about the kids. when you when you're teaching a class like how what's your i guess what what you try to teach in a class how do you what's your like maybe in the teaching philosophy if you want like what's, what's your goal of, when you step into a class do you have a goal like what, if i accomplish this this is would be it's a good day yeah good class
2: like i think it depends on the rank as well um like for younger students or lower ranks like i want to keep you moving i want to keep you engaged um, I don't want you to get bored. I don't want to talk too much or too long. you know, like if you can get into you know one foot in front of the other and your knees partially bent, that's a good enough forward stance for me right now. like I don't want to spend thirty minutes trying to describe what a forward you know good forward stance is because that can come later on down the road, right when you're a little bit more higher ranking and can better understand these things and have that kind of attention to detail and focus we can work on that then but like if you can get your left foot in front when i tell you left foot in front like boom we're, we're rocking and rolling um so i think for like younger students it's definitely like let me make sure i keep you moving keep you engaged if i start to notice that like y'all are getting bored i'm going to do something different like we're going to uh, get a water break and we're going to come back and do something different um for the upper ranks you know it can start to be a little bit more attention to detail and, um, you know, really um, giving them specific feedback and then watching how they incorporate it, you know, and you, you know, your students and you know, who's got, you know, the back stances that, hey, how many times am I going to tell you, extend (laughs) that leg, you know, check this, like, you know what I'm looking for, you tell, you tell me what I'm looking for and then fix it. Yeah. Um, and giving them that accountability of being able to, um, you know, recognize, okay, yeah, I need, I need to be doing this. And am I doing this? And let me check myself. And if I'm not, okay, let me fix it. Mm. Because I'm capable of doing that without having to be told, you know, over and over again, you know, by this level. Yeah. Um, and then some of it, you know, it's like, depending on how much you can handle, I know I'm going to start to try and push you more. Cause maybe you're getting closer to those green belt ranks and, you know, it's going to be a big jump into the teens class or into the adult class. And I want you to kind of be prepared, you know, for what that's going to be like, cause it's mm-hmm. not, we're not going to play snake, <laughs> yeah. you know, we're not going to be doing these games. Like we're going to be going fast, going hard, and I'm going to be tough on you. Yeah. And uh, you know, it comes from a place of love and wanting you to do your best, but you know, I'm going to start giving you more of that kind of level at this stage, you know, before you go to the next one, because I know it's going to help you later on down the road.
0: Nice. And if you think about uh, going back to, the you know, brand new white belts when to first come in, the kids, like, mm-hmm. what in the first class, in their first class, how? what do you do? What do you say to keep them, like, excited and then maybe coming back for more, right? Like, do you have any tips or tricks?
2: So I, I would do with kids or adults, um, I usually start by like, you know, let's make a circle and, you know, I'm Sensei Rachel. Um, oh, here comes Caroline. All right. <laughs> um, you know, I'm Sensei Rachel. You know, everyone go around and tell me your name, you know, or something about you, right? Just to start to have people introduce themselves. Um, so that you know, we're not just like this person. This person, you know, it's like okay. Let me call you by name. You don't have a gui on yet, but let me do my best to remember. Okay, you're Brian. You're Sarah. You know, good job, Caden. You know, what, whoever it may be, um, so that they feel recognized. You know, whether or not they're doing something correct or not. You know, being able to be like, all right, let's do this. Okay, you know, um, and giving them compliments and positive feedback and reinforcement mm-hmm. from the get go. Um, so I would do that kind of with adults too. I'd say, you know, like, here's who I am. Here's what I do outside of the dojo. You know, like, let's just quickly go around and say, you know, who you are, what, you know, what brought you in here, you know, anything. Um, and, you know, after that, you know, with the kids, I'm like, (laughs) uh, I usually start with kind of like some stances, you know, and the, and the bowing in and out, um, say, you know, natural stance, attention stance, and then I'm going to turn it into some kind of a game. You know, whether or not it's just me going back and forth or saying, you know, okay, we're going to play sensei says, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but just teaching them some basics that then we can just kind of rep it over and over again, but doing it as, as a game or something that's fun um, so that, you know, it adds an element of competition to it and, um, you know, keeps them moving and thinking. Mm. Um, I would do that. And then, you know, some, sometimes some things that are totally not, you know, New related at all, like maybe playing snake early, which is that class. Mm-hmm. Um, but oftentimes, actually, you know, I mostly will keep it focused on, you know, like stances are okay, let's, you know, punches, you know, real quick, let's talk about how we make a fix. Let's, you know, start doing this and we get some focus myths so that they have something physical to practice punching or kicking I mean kids love to have things to hit
3: yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah.
2: so the second you bring out some pads some blockers whatever it may be oh there you go uh, okay yeah.
0: we're, we're rolling now yeah. Um, nice
2: yeah <laughs> that's good, that's good. <laughs> that, that could have been something I spoke to because I did um yeah. research on the positive um you know like long-term effects and positive um impacts of martial arts on children because I started doing um, some karate a couple years ago at my school at my elementary school I called it the cool down karate kids <laughs> and mm. um, you know for certain students and, and was teaching them martial arts because I was like there's totally you know like there, there's, I knew that there had to be some evidence out there as far as you know the benefits you know for martial arts for students or for kids And um, so I did some research and then, you know, said, okay, you know, I've already been teaching kids, obviously, but I'm going to do it, you know, in my school setting, um, you know, and have it. And of course, then that was two years ago. And then last year, we were displaced in a different school. So I didn't do it because I didn't have a location. Um, But hopefully, I can, you know, get it going again next school year Mm. um, and be able to do, you know, karate with these kids who, you know, might have a little bit more energy or, you know, whatever kind of behavior concerns present at school but you know, maybe with some long term martial arts, you know, could see some effects.
0: Huh. If you mean cool down Alan, uh cool down karate? Is that yeah,
2: that's what I called it, yeah.
0: Uh, are they are those kids having some behavioral issues or
2: yeah, a lot most of them were um they weren't the severe uh, behavior issues at my school, but they would be ones where it's like, you know, you could definitely benefit from learning how to focus a little bit better or, Mm. um, you know, um, having better self-control of your body. Mm. Um, and so they, um, you know, I I did it as like a small group and we did, um, had Seth come in and we gave them a, you know, yellow stripe test and, you know, they were going to continue on. And then, you know, summer hit, and then next year, last year, we were in a different building, and I just didn't have a location to be able to do karate with them during the day, so I dropped it last year, and then this year, COVID, obviously, (laughs) but hopefully next year, I'll get that going again, where I can, you know, do my cool-down karate kids, and get some more students, and start them younger, with the thought being that, you know, if I do some first graders, maybe by the time they're in fifth grade, you know, let's see what they're like, and see, you know, how karate may have changed. their lives.
0: Ah, is, that, is that your own research project? Or is it like something that, I guess, uh, what's the goal, is it to, to study this? Or is it like to, sounds like very long-term research, like you could turn into a, some kind of research paper, right, like what's, uh, I it guess. It
2: is. I, I originally started doing the research for a, um, oh, I did it for a quantitative research methods class, not qualitative, ah. yeah, um, that I did in grad school. And so then, then, but then I was like, well, I did all this research for this class. So like, I might as well, you know, use this for something. And it was like, well, this makes sense. You know, like that they're, um, you know, they see these effects or, you know, here's, and there's not that much research out there, you know, either. And it is so much of it is, um, you know, quantitative stories and it's, you know, um, notes, you know, from, you know, parents or, you know, teachers or instructors and, you know, or self reports from kids. But, you know, I truly believe that it's out there, you know, and that it is beneficial. It's just a different type of research, you know. But I think, yeah, I think it'd be really cool. And, you know, to, to do some with, you know, a survey of, you know, our Sangmin Shu students, you know, especially those who have been in it more long term, and, you know, talking to the parents about, you know, what might have originally brought them in or what, you know, hmm. what have they seen changing wise. So.
0: Yeah. you are you hoping to get, get out of the, uh, I guess, the, the study, the, the effort, I guess?
2: I don't know. Eventually, see, I should talk to you, Shu. Eventually, back, back in the day, I wanted to go and get my PhD. And I ah. go back and forth about, you know, going back to school one day for my doctorate. Um, which has kind of gotten pushed on the back burner, (laughs) Um, obviously. And um, I don't really need for any reason right now, unless I were to change career paths and want to, you know, teach um, and get out of the school system. But, you know, just being able to combine two of those passions, you know, my passion for karate and martial arts and my passion for, you know, counseling and working with kids, like how cool would it be to combine those and be able to, you know
0: yeah <laughs> i mean even if you don't get you don't need to i mean that sounds almost like a phd thesis project right, right? Get that result you can actually get a phd uh, another thing you if you don't go that route you can do the study uh get a result and then just write a book about it right
1: right and yeah. then you
0: can you can even hopefully not help others nice like to teach these SO to kids right so yeah right that'd be, yeah that'd be awesome i think yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Just got to find the time to do it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's awesome. Uh, uh, one more question about uh, can you What's your favorite Kanu philosophy?
2: So it probably varies, but one that um, – I forget when I kind of discovered it. I think it's at one of the brown belt levels, but the five truths for love of life.
3: Mm.
2: And it's true friendship, bleh, true friendship, true love, true happiness, true peace, and true freedom. Mm. And I think that, I think, I think that I've heard Master Robert, because I've talked to him about it, say that that actually came from Master Elizabeth. Mm.
3: Um,
2: And I was say that that was one that I'll have to confirm that. Um, But there's something, once I kind of started thinking about, you know, okay, what is friendship? right, true love, what, what brings me true happiness, true peace, true freedom, and thinking about how, um, my internet's still going, okay, um, you know, how I can embody those things to really think about what brings me joy, and has value for me, um, that is something that, you know, I've enjoyed that philosophy and just think those things.
0: Mm. Why is that your favorite?
2: Um, cause it, it feels like it could be so simplistic, Mm -hmm. like thinking, you know, like thinking about, you know, the five, the truths for love of life. If I'm really going to love my life, I need to have these truths. Like what is true for me? What is my, what is true friendship for me? You know, what does that look like? Mm -hmm. What does that feel like? Um, and, you know, recognizing that not all of the friendships that I have in my life are going to be true friendships. Um. Mm -hmm. And saying, you know, what with love, true love. I don't just think of it as like, oh, Seth is my true love. I think of it as like, what, what do I love doing, right? Mm. Um, and again, that that brings me joy. You know, it's a five truths for love of life. If I'm gonna love my life, I'm gonna, you know, do this and love doing this. Um, and same with like peace. You know, what brings me peace, um, and and how it changes over the years, and you know, changes. As you get older and and have different interests or different, you know, you start to look into different avenues or exploring different things and find things that bring you peace that you never knew would or um, hadn't in the past, but might now.
3: Yeah.
2: Um. So those kind of things, it's I enjoy thinking about that, and it's it's been cool. I wanted to mention too. Um, you had mentioned about Alan talking about the dojo archive, and um, so there's um philosophy, I've enjoyed, again, looking at it and thinking about it more, not just memorizing it. And there's a lot of old papers that Osensei's written and some of his philosophy notes as he's coming up with these, that's kind of cool to, to look through and to see some of his thought process as he's creating these philosophies, which to me makes it more um, more personable or more um, relatable Mm-hmm. and just like here's what these are let me learn these and memorize them but like look here here's someone creating this and coming up with this you know from scratch and you know here's what he was thinking about here's what was going on with his life here is why this was important for him
0: yeah going back to the five truths love or life when when did you discover it?
2: i think it was probably sometime in my brown belt era um so-
0: yeah, so it resonated with you. I think that's around your like, high school, college day, right? Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. So now so I feel like that's at least to me I feel like that's a little bit young for you to think about those uh uh like, those like true loves of life already. Uh-huh. Like, were you were you were you actively thinking about those at that time? Like, I just watched the video why it resonated with you at that time.
2: Probably not in the same, at least not in the same way that like I would now, um, mm-hmm. right. except I was a really deep thinker too. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know, I think it was, there are certain t- periods of your life where you're reevaluating your friendships and reevaluating what's important to you. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think about, you know, what, what you might want to shift or what, what you might want to change, you know, um that these can kind of come into play and, and, um, you know, going through different pro, different grad school programs, different jobs, living in different places, and just really trying to figure out like, who am I? What do I want to do? What is, what do I want to have done? You know, by the time that I'm, you know, 30 and, you know, mm. in my thirties when I'm, you know, going to have a different type of lifestyle, mm. um, you know, what do I need to do now to, be okay with where I will be, you know, 10 years from now or five years from now.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, Uh, speaking about 10 years, five years, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, I recently came across a very interesting question that uh, I really like the question. The question is like, what, if you wake up like tomorrow and then you only have like 10 years, you realize you only 10 years to live, like Mm -hmm. what would you stop doing? Is there anything come to mind?
2: I don't, I don't know. Um,
0: that's good. That means you probably love everything you do right now. So that's good.
2: I was like, there's not, yeah, there's nothing that comes to mind where I'd be like, I would immediately stop doing this. I mean, if money was no option, like maybe I would stop working and like just try and travel more, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but realistically, that's not, you know, <laughs> that wouldn't be able to happen. Um, uh, yeah. yeah. There's nothing that I feel like I'm doing right now that it's like, I should probably stop.
0: Mm, that, that, means, that means you are in a good position, right? That's that's a good sign, actually.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I feel pretty satisfied with where I am.
0: Yeah. You like? With, you, I mean, even working, right? You working with the kids, and they probably bring joy as well. So yeah.
2: Right. Right. Yeah. And yeah. having explored, you know, different other career options and avenues, you know, knowing that where I am now, it's like I could see myself doing this for another. Twenty years, you know. Yeah. yeah. Actually, twenty six because you know you work for thirty years in the school system before you retire, typically. So, twenty six years for me.
0: Yeah, that's good. Is there any advice you would give to your younger self?
2: Um, take take chances, take risks, um, make mistakes, which I feel like I did a lot of, not a lot of in that way, but that I did, um, because there are some opportunities that aren't going to present themselves again. Um, And so not being afraid to take those opportunities or to try those different things because you might not have the opportunity again. Um, So I would definitely say, you know, do, do some of that stuff. And I'm glad that I did some of it and I wish I had done more, you know, in hindsight. Um, But, you know, I'm, I'm satisfied with what I was able to do, which is a good thing.
0: Yeah. So, what kind of risk you did not take, or any, um, like. You wish that you uh you had taken.
2: Like I wish I had maybe traveled more.
0: Uh.
2: Um, I did a road trip out west one summer, so I was able to see you know places out west that I have n- you know never been to otherwise.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you know, and and hiking on the Appalachian Trail and moving to the Netherlands. Um, but if there were other, you know. Things that I could have done, Um, you know, if I could have traveled more, which is hard when you're young and, you know, on a a tighter budget, (laughs) most likely. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, where if there's something that seems kind of scary, just because it's it's a new experience or it's, um, you know, uncomfortable out of your comfort zone, like, give it a shot, you know, if it's a relatively safe kind of thing, you know, try it um, because you can. Learn a lot from that.
0: Yeah. Take more risk. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: so
0: last three questions. Uh, I think talking about, uh, I think talking about like failures that you have talked about like uh, grants probation when you're telling kids uh, like, you know, struggle, telling how they go through it. Like, do you have any specific failure, a past failure that you have learned a lot from? Um. Yourself?
2: Well, thinking about kind of being in those five truths, there's definitely been relationships that I've been in where looking back, you know, they weren't the healthiest for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, if I could go back in time and and speak to myself and be like, Rachel, you're stronger than this, you're better than this, you know, you deserve better than this, you know, I might do that or say that to myself um, and, and just, you know, get out of certain things earlier on than I necessarily did just because at the time I was maybe so wrapped up, um, you know, in that relationship or, um, you know, infatuated with that person, you know, cause you're young and in love and you think that that's the end of the world. <laughs> um, and then you look back and you're like, God, I was so stupid. <laughs> well,
0: that, That's why they call That's why they say love is blind. Right?
2: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
0: So, uh, yeah, last two questions. Like, uh, so how would you like to be remembered?
2: I hope that I'm remembered as a kind person, caring, loving, um, you know, someone who is nonjudgmental, who will listen to you you know with an open mind, um, and just just a good friend, like someone who is mm. a, a safe person. I want people to know where to think. To feel that I'm a safe person that they can come to, um, and that they can share things with, um, and that I'm I'm here, you know, to help, and that you know that's what brings me joy is being able to help people like that as well.
0: Mm. Yeah. So in a cemetery, in the Oland Cemetery, right? You mm-hmm. you do you enjoy looking at the headstones when they describe someone's like what what they like like.
2: Sure. Yeah. Or, or seeing, you know, the family burial plots and, you know, thinking about those types of, um, you know, families being together again. And yeah, or seeing, you know, what kind of quotes might be on the headstones or, um, well, yeah, you know, what might have been important for the person or what how they wanted to have, you know, what kind of statue, um, you know, or type things they wanted to have
0: yeah, as part
2: well, of their memorial there.
0: What would you like to be on your headstone?
2: Oh man, I don't know. It's <laughs> uh, a good question,
0: <laughs> Rachel. Ah. Rachel, who found the true love of her life?
2: There we go. <laughs> yeah, or or you know something about you know the the my character, um, you know, always there for others, or um, you know putting others first, or something like that.
0: Hmm. Sounds good. Sounds good. (laughs) And last question is, uh, if you can, can put a word or message on a dojo window for, for people driving by, what would it be?
2: So I thought about this because, um, after I listened to Mariana's interview, I was like, well, that's, that's it. Like nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I felt like could top that. I was like, that was the most well stated. I just loved everything about that. Um, so I was trying to think of, as far as a, a word or a message. Um, there's one inside the dojo, which I wouldn't want to put on the outside that says, you know, leave your shoes and your egos at the door,
3: mm-hmm. which
2: I love. Um, but I feel like it's not a message that I would say to be posted on the outside, but something I would want to have people know as they come in is yeah. that regardless of whatever amount of time you're in Kung knew or that you're with something Shu. Like we're, we're going to respect you and, and enjoy that time together, regardless of how long it is. Um, as I stated earlier, you know, Kung Nu might not be for everyone. And that's something that I've enjoyed about our dojo in particular is that I feel like when someone leaves or says, you know, I need to freeze my membership or discontinue training, you know, because none of us are getting paid and we're not <laughs> relying on this as our income, you know, our, our go-to isn't, well, what can I do to get you to stay? You know, what, what do yeah. we, you know, it's kind of like, okay, you know, what's, talk to me about what's going on, you know, mm. and um, it's always in like a respectful way, mm. right? I mean, there's there's definitely been some people or you know, they have this conversation with me and I'm like, no, don't leave <laughs> Um <laughs> But, you know, at the same time, it's also like, okay, you're going because I understand, you know, volleyball might be your thing. And I totally respect that. And I'm glad that you were able to, you know, have this experience. And what I always tell people is know that we're not going anywhere. You know, you can always come back to Kung Nu. And that's something that I've loved about, you know, Janet and Matt and lots of people is that they might take, shoo, you're one of them. You took time off from Kung Nu and then you came back, you know, like, we're not going anywhere so you know what like those those risks that i told you i would take for myself you know what take some risks go try some other activities you know see what brings you joy see what makes you um happy what keeps your interest it's not always going to be become new and that's okay like there's no hard feelings about that know that like our community is still here and we still you know encourage people even after they may have dropped out to you know be a part of our community come to the chili cook-offs you know do these other things like we're not going to look at you like, Oh, you're here. (laughs) No, we're going to be like, Hey, how's it going? You know, like, I've never had a a negative interaction with someone who, you know, quit for for whatever reason it may be. So I'd say, you know, when you come in, whatever amount of time that you spend with us, you know, is going to be cherished, and it's going to be valued. And that time may be two classes (laughs) or it might be 40 years you know whatever um but know that like we're still going to be here yeah you know if you leave you can always come back and um you know that we're not going anywhere